So I follow the Megan diet. Maddie has the Maddie diet. Bo follows the Bo diet. So we all have our own diets. And of course, there's other protocols that we can follow and things that we can implement. But again, we need to make sure that we have this appropriate mindset that we're not trying to beat ourselves up or um, you know miss out on certain nutrients. And we just wanna make sure that you're gonna flourish. So let's nourish to flourish. So Maddie, let's pick our first diet. Which one do you want to hit on first? Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Fitness Lying Down Podcast. And it is yours truly again, Megan, the trainer, registered dietitian for our nutrition takeover episode. I am again, not alone today. So we're bringing in some big guns, some big heavy hitters in these past couple of episodes. So get excited for these up and coming conversations. Today, our lovely guest speaker is Maddie, and she happens to be our intern right now. Um, So right now, when I say right now, we're kind of in the beginning of October of 2023. She's been hanging out with us for a couple of weeks so far. Um, So she's got an eight-week rotation with us. She's a student at Viterbo, and she hopes to become a dietitian one day. So we're super glad that we can be a part of her professional journey, taking her on as a student here at FLD. Hopefully she's learning a lot and um, is gonna be able to feel nice and successful when she becomes an RD. So Maddie, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks, it's been fun to do all the things at Fitness Lying Down. I'm excited to add another project to the list. It's been great. Oh, so. Today's topic for discussion, Maddie and I are going to go through some different fad diets. We're going to tell you about kind of the basics of the diet, what is kind of included, who it might be good for, and who might, who should pass on it, who might not be a good idea for. Because we are all in the business of being informed. There's a lot of misinformation out there, especially when it comes to different diets. And a question I get from a lot of clients is what is the best diet for me? Or what I should back up, not what's the best diet for me, what's the best diet for XYZ goal? And then I always follow up with, it depends. We need to find the best diet for you. So we need to find it in a good context in something that you can consistently stick to, that you can feel successful in and motivated to follow through on. So there is no one best diet. Um, Again, you need to find what is going to work for you. So maybe some of these diets that Maddie and I um, described today in this episode, some might stand out to you and maybe spark an idea to check it out a little bit more. The big takeaway, as those of you who are repeat listeners know, that my philosophy is you got to nourish to flourish. So make sure that again, when whatever way you decide to fuel your body, that we are in fact nourishing your body. Our body still has needs. It still has nutrients that we need. So we need to be smart about that still. So we can kind of flex that context. So that's where, again, some of these fad diets will come into play. 
And before we get into some of these specific diets, I want to lay a couple of ground rules. So when I say diet or fad diet, usually there's a negative connotation. And we're talking about something where we are restricting, and usually we're restricting in the hopes to lose weight. And so again, that is one definition of diet. If you look it up in the dictionary, that's going to say something really fancy about simply a way of eating. So I follow the Megan diet. Maddie has the Maddie diet. Bo follows the Bo diet. So we all have our own diets. And now, of course, there's other protocols that we can follow and things that we can implement. But again, we need to make sure that we have this appropriate mindset that we're not trying to beat ourselves up or, um, you know, miss out on certain nutrients. And we just want to make sure that you're going to flourish. So let's nourish to flourish. So Maddie, let's pick our first diet. Which one do you want to hit on first? Um, I feel like we could talk about intermittent fasting first. That's a big one as of Yeah. And with intermittent fasting, I think it's always interesting because like it is kind of a diet, but it's kind of not. Um, so Maddie, tell us a little bit more about intermittent fasting. So intermittent fasting is basically restricting the window of time throughout the day or the week that you consume food. Um, so some people have like all day fast. Some people just have like an eight hour window of eating. People do it differently um, since it is kind of not a diet. Um, but the what happens is basically by restricting that window, you put yourself into a caloric deficit um, is there anything else? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, when it comes to intermittent fasting, again, like Maddie said, where it's it's all about the time. We're watching the clock essentially with this. And again, there's a bunch of different ways that you can intermittent fast. And I say that with air quotes, um, because there's no one exact way to do it. And again, this doesn't, there's no list of like good foods, bad foods, eat this, don't eat that. It's more of when to eat. So Maddie, when would this be something that might be helpful for intermittent fasting or being mindful of when you start eating and be mindful of when you stop eating? When might that be a good idea? Well, it can be helpful for weight loss just to for an easy way to get yourself into the caloric deficit. If tracking food is not your thing, it can be a nice, easy way for you to do that. It can also have some good effects on your insulin, blood sugar, so it might be helpful for people that are looking to help themselves out in that realm of things. Yeah, absolutely. Because now, usually for a lot of people, and maybe you as a listener might identify with this, in terms of weight management with intermittent fasting, because this is always kind of a tricky thing, is with intermittent fasting for losing weight, it's not just merely, I'm skipping breakfast. And we're calling it a day um, with giving some structure to your start time and your end time. This is sometimes a place where we can eliminate either like snacking where it's maybe we're mindless snacking. And although, yes, we're taking the nutrients, but maybe we already hit our nutrient needs for the day. Do you need to sit down and mindlessly snack on M&Ms while you read your book? Or, you know, could we either sub it for something else or just do a little different behavior? So that's where this can kind of fit in when it comes to weight management is now we can just kind of zip up our eating window 
and be a little bit more intentional on when we are going to eat. And it takes out some of those spots where, again, we might kind of fall into this mindless eating. So again, with weight management, sometimes this also opens up a tricky spot for some disordered eating. Because now this is like a socially acceptable way to just skip meals. And that's not the point. (laughs) So who might, who should probably pass on doing intermittent fasting? Is there a certain group of people that maybe shouldn't do this one or should think, you know, really thoroughly before they decide to do that? What do you think, Maddie? I think if you have kind of that complicated relationship with skipping meals in the past, kind of some of the makes you a little nervy to go out to eat with friends, like let yourself enjoy that time and don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. Also by restricting your window, you do still need to get your required nutrients in, in that time. So if that's something that you already feel like you're struggling with, this might not be great for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just like you said, we still have nutrients to meet. So now if we're making that window smaller, We have to be really intentional with those opportunities to really check off all of our nutrient needs. And for some people, time-restricted eating could be simply as like 12 hours, like a 12-12 kind of split. And by default, some of you listeners might already technically be doing this. You know, if you have supper at like six o'clock and maybe you don't have anything else past seven, you go to sleep at nine, you wake up in the morning and you eat breakfast at maybe six, seven o'clock again. So there you go. There's a a window that, you know, technically falls within the intermittent fasting bucket. Um, I think there's a lot of people who think that they only have like four hours to eat. Um, But at the same time, you can still overeat and kind of binge in that time too. So, so yes, just like Maddie said, if you don't have the best relationship with food um, and eating and listening to your hunger fullness cues, this might be might be one that you want to pass on. Um, So, but yes. Okay. So that is intermittent fasting. So Maddie, what one should we chat about next? I'll let you kind of pick which ones we want to go towards. We could talk about the Mediterranean diet next. Yeah, the Mediterranean diet. So Maddie and I listened to a webinar uh, last week, a week, two weeks ago, something like that. Um, It was a little bit ago, not super long, but not super recent. But either way, we learned about the Mediterranean diet and its impacts on our gut health. We're not going to necessarily dive down what we learned in that today, Um, but we learned some really fascinating things about the Mediterranean diet. So Maddie, give us a scoop on the Mediterranean diet. So the Mediterranean diet is kind of pulled from a very large region, as you know, the name implies. And the cool thing when we talked about the webinar was, you know, a lot of people think about like Greek food, um, but it also includes, you know, the Middle East, North Africa region, even like parts of Italy. So very interesting, fun refresher from the webinar for that. But the diet puts a big emphasis on whole grains, fish, healthy fats, like or olive oil, not avocado oil, but we did talk about avocados as well. That's another healthy fat. Um, big emphasis on vegetables and consuming those kind of like a lower emphasis on dairy and red meats. Yeah, absolutely. So this is 
like you said, man, like this is a big region. And that was at least eye-opening for me too, of like, it's not just cooking things with oregano and um, thyme and basil, but you can really dip into some of those other spices like cumin and different curries. I mean, it's not quite like Indian, so to say, but all of these flavors, all of these spices are still, you know, signature to this area. Um, So, which I think is really cool. So if you're if you're really creative and if you really enjoy trying out different recipes, there's a whole slew of combinations that you can make when it comes to the Mediterranean diet. So who might benefit from this Mediterranean diet? Um, I think that a lot of people could since it is the big focus is just eating those whole foods, those fruits and veggies, um, limiting some of the other things that we kind of know are not as good for us um and the nice part is is that it doesn't force you to cut out anything so it's not too restrictive gives you a lot of latitude and freedom to eat what works best for you yeah there's a lot of flexibility with the mediterranean diet and i think one other thing that i usually will share with clients as well when it comes to the Mediterranean diet is that this can be a really healthful health, like H-E-A-L-T-H, healthful diet um, because there is that shift in fruits and vegetables and more plants because now we're getting a lot more of those nutrients, a lot more phytonutrients, uh, vitamins and minerals and that kind of thing. Um, But at the same time, if we think about the culture of the Mediterranean space. Um, it It is different. They have a different relationship when it comes to food. It's a little more like social. It's not so critical of our food. It's not this rushed, this fast pace, this go, 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 um, you know, kind of mentality. And so even if you aren't a big fan of Mediterranean flavors or spices or combinations um, that you can make, you can still adopt some of those philosophical side things when it comes to the Mediterranean diet. Um, so, and of course, with every diet, there's a few drawbacks. So what are some of the cons that people might encounter when it comes to the Mediterranean diet? Um, you do have to cook. So if you are not big on being in the kitchen, planning out things, it might not be great for you because it's not a eat XYZ diet. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yes. And again, there's a lot of emphasis in, again, cooking at home because usually, you know, if we go out to eat, usually A, we either don't make the best choices or B, the portions that we get when we go out to eat are way more than what we really need. So it's just harder sometimes to make helpful decisions. But the more involved and the more invested that you can be in terms of playing a part of the food that you put on your plate or in your mouth, you know, there's usually better health outcomes that come with that. One other thing that I I think some people might find as a a critique or a con when it comes to the Mediterranean diet is that there are some things that you might not know how to cook. There's a lot of grains that can be included in the Mediterranean diet, like farro and spelt and quinoa. And some of these things, depending on, you know, your own diet variety, you might really be exposed to these. So it can be a little intimidating to kind of figure out how to cook them, how to prepare them, how to include them. 
And the other thing with living in the Mediterranean area, you have the Mediterranean Sea right there. So there's a lot of emphasis on seafood and a lot of fish that's going to be consumed um, just because that's a really close available food source with the, the big sea right there. So if you live in a landlocked area, like good old Wisconsin, I mean, technically we've got, you know, the, the Great Lakes, of course, around us, but uh, maybe Maddie, you can relate to this being from South Dakota, <laughs> but it can be a little tricky to get quite as much fish coming in and it can get expensive because there's a little bit more involved if we live somewhere that's a little more landlocked. So I know that that is usually a, a common con or a critique of the Mediterranean diet is just kind of depending on where you live and what kind of things you have access to. Um, so, okay, so that is the Mediterranean diet. So let's go on to another one. What is another one that we can chat through? Um, we could talk about keto. That's another Ooh, big one. Yeah, keto is a big one. What should we know about keto? So a ketogenic diet limits your carbs a lot and focuses heavily on protein and fats, more specifically fat. So but very, very low carb and you put your body into a state of or ketosis, which basically means that you are using fat for fuel instead of your regular carbs, which are your body's preferred choice of fuel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now we're playing around and we're tweaking the macros, our macronutrients. So again, we've got three macronutrients, carbohydrates, fats, and protein. And with um, the keto diet, we're putting, like Maddie said, more emphasis really in the fat kind of department um, because these ketone bodies are kind of the byproduct of breaking down fat for energy. And that's kind of the whole point. So Maddie, when we say like it's a severe cut in carbohydrates, like how much are we are we talking here? Like in terms of grams of carbohydrates compared to what maybe one usually would consume. Do you have kind of any guides or ideas on how much? So I might not get the numbers 100% correct here, but I know that it's something like 10 to 15% of your daily caloric intake is from carbs instead of the usual like I don't know, like 50 to 65%. Yeah. So yeah, we're not talking about just like a little cut here. Like this is a very drastic drop um, in carbohydrates. So yeah, like 10 to 15% of your, your calorie intake when the usual recommendation is, I mean, the AMDR, I think is technically like 45 to 65%, but I feel like we live in a pretty carb dominant society. So switching to keto is kind of a, a big overhaul. And, um, there's a lot of foods that can be higher in carbs, but also have a lot of good nutrients in it. So sometimes this is one that you have to be very smart and very intentional, um, with, so who might benefit from being on a keto diet? Does any kind of group of people come to mind? So I know that like it was originally like researched and kind of made for people that were suffering from epilepsy having complications with that and that it is helpful for that for some folks and then endurance athletes or someone who for their exercise they do switch over and use fat as a fuel source instead of the typical carbs 
Yeah. So yeah, this diet was never really meant to be a fad diet. So to say it was actually like a medical diet for people with epilepsy because all of this fat that we would get through our diet is super, super important for, um, again, people with epilepsy because of the myelin sheath that we have around our neurons, around our brain cells. And so that's kind of, um, a complication of somebody who is diagnosed with epilepsy is that um, if we can add extra coding, so to say, to some of those connections, um, it can be, it can lessen some of the symptoms or can just improve their overall quality of life, at least may not necessarily be a cure, so to say, but the keto diet was originally designed for that. And also just like Maddie said, like with exercise and with ultra endurance, individuals. So we're not just talking about like going out and running a 5k kind of endurance. For me, that's a lot of endurance because I hate running. (laughs) But when we're talking about like people who are running like miles on miles, like marathons, ultra marathoners, this could potentially be you know, like a a helpful sports nutrition um, avenue to kind of explore. Because just like Maddie, as you were saying, when we are running at that kind of a steady state or when the body is in a steady state like that, it is more efficient to use fats for fuel than carbohydrates. An analogy that I explain to clients a lot is like, imagine like a fire, like a fire pit, a bonfire, and like it's fall here. So I'm just getting all fall vibes of bonfires. Um, But to keep that fire burning, we keep putting logs on and logs kind of have that slow, steady burning kind of contribution to our fire. Compare that to like kindling or small sticks or newspaper, you know, that's going to like go up in a a burst of flames. It's going to get really hot. It's going to get really bright. And then all of a sudden it's going to die back down into kind of this, these embers and some smaller flames. So that's kind of the same thing when it comes to our energy metabolism for activity. Carbohydrates are really efficient, fast, quick, bang, you know, kind of fuel source. So if you're a power athlete or if you are even a recreational fitness enthusiast and you do some strength training, you're going to need carbohydrates in your diet, (laughs) probably more than 10 to 15% of your calories too. But again, if you are training in kind of this like super long endurance state, you need a lot of logs on your fire. So it can be helpful to kind of prime your body to use um, the fats that you get from your food and therefore uh, for your your food source. So, um, and let's talk a little bit about using keto for fat loss. So Maddie, I'm going to do kind of a pop quiz question for you. If we are in a ketogenic state, we are obviously using fats for energy. Does that mean anybody, blanket statement, that does keto is going to just burn up through their fat stores in their body? Is that what people can expect to happen in following the keto diet? Um, No, because you are consuming fat and your body likes to use what you eat for energy and that stuff that we stored for later, we like to save for later. Yes. So I think that is a big misconception when it comes to the keto diet is like, oh, so if I eat fat and I prime my body to break down fat, therefore it's going to break down all my body fat. 
And in theory, sure, that sounds great. That sounds appealing. However, in practice, and if any of you have listened to previous podcasts or have seen my Nourish to Flourish videos on our social media pages, it is not that straight up and simple when it comes to losing fat tissue. Um, It's not just eating fat, priming your body for fat, and then therefore, ta-da, you will become shredded. Um, There still comes into our food quality and what are we still choosing? There's still plenty of things that are higher in fat that might not be super beneficial for our health. So it all still comes down to, are we adequately nourishing to truly flourish? We'll put a pin in the whole fat loss thing. I feel like that should be like a whole podcast, if not a podcast series. Um, so, so yeah. So I think that sometimes can be a big misconception is that it's not just the essence of being on keto. Are you guaranteed to lose fat? There's still other things that we all still need to be mindful of. We need to be mindful of our activity. We need to make sure we're getting enough nutrients in. We need to manage our stress. We need to get good quality sleep. So, <laughs> so I also have just a little bit of a personal story to share when it comes to the keto diet. And Maddie, I don't think I've actually even like shared this with you. Um, I was I a part I of a <laughs> just a little bit. So. <laughs> I was in a study when I was back at school at UWL where I did a keto diet for four weeks and we did um, body composition measurements and I was supposed to follow the diet and then strength train. And they were looking at the impact of the keto diet for strength training individuals, kind of like how we talked about the keto diet and endurance. Um, And I did it for four weeks and it was very hard. It was very difficult to stick to Um, because a lot of the foods that were in my usual routine, I could not have. And sometimes people are like, oh, so like, you know, pasta and bread, like we all could probably use, you know, a pullback on that. But I'm talking like a banana, some fruits, because fruits can be higher in carbohydrates. Not to say that they're bad, but again, under the guidelines of keto, I had a a specific set of numbers that I needed to stick to. And now again, this is for research. So I wanted to make sure I was doing it right. So in the morning, as Maddie knows, I have banana peanut butter toast. And of all of those things, essentially the only thing that I could really have was the peanut butter. So it like was something that I needed to completely reroute my day for. And I made a bunch of Alfredo sauce and I poured that all over my veggies because that helps me get to my numbers. I made protein shakes with um, heavy whipping cream and I did not like avocados at the time. I like them now, but that would have been a huge help um, to put avocados in things. I ate so much tuna with no crackers, which was very difficult. Um, And uh, I had a lot of veggies. I would try to do like Greek yogurt dips. So it would be a little higher in protein, but again, find the fuller fat ones. Um, So it was, it was challenging for me because my usual routine included carbohydrates a lot more than what I was permitted, so to say, when I was on this keto diet. 
And the other thing that sometimes can happen with following the keto diet is the keto flu, so to say. Maddie, have you heard of the keto flu? I don't really think so. Oh, okay. So as your body switches gears into this whole different metabolic phase, um, analogy that I usually tell clients is like, it's like you're taking a Prius that can function off of electricity and you're putting a diesel engine in it. So you need to like reroute a lot of things under the hood. In that rerouting process, sometimes we, when I say we, individuals who are on keto can feel symptoms of what is referred to as the keto flu, where we're feeling really fatigued, we're feeling really drained, we have a lot of brain fog, um, because your brain functions off of carbohydrates, and now we're pulling its main fuel source. So the brain has to like switch gears and get on the same page as the rest of your diet is. So it can be really uncomfortable to really get everything switched over, initially. So again, depending on your lifestyle, depending on what you do, that might not be helpful for you. Um, (laughs) Might not be an ideal time to bring in some of these uncomfortable symptoms. And something else that I think a lot of people will tote as well when it comes to following keto is they'll have this dramatic or this drastic weight loss that happens within like the first couple of weeks, the first month. Maddie, do you want, do you know what kind of happens that causes like that big drop in weight initially? A little bit. I think it has to do with the low carb intake because our carbs are also helpful for storing water. So when you increase your carbs, you usually increase your water weight in air quotes. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, I, I feel like I've heard it and I've seen it in, in a book and literature in somewhere where every one carbohydrate that we have in our body, there's three waters that go with it. I mean, if you think of the word carbohydrate, um, so it's right in the name that we're going to, that there's something to do with water coming in with it. So yes. So as soon as we start decreasing our carbohydrate intake, as soon as we, our body uses up our glycogen stores, our carbohydrate stores in general, we're losing a lot of water weight. So sometimes people can be like, I went on keto. And in the first month I lost 12 pounds. Like how crazy is that? So it's one thing to look at the scale and see that number go down. But is it actually like fat loss or is it just water weight loss? That's kind of the bigger kicker here. So again, it all still is going to circle back to all of those basics um, when it comes to weight management and supporting that in the long run. So that is, again, a thing that I think people can experience and maybe gives them a little bit of false hope um, when it comes to the keto diet. So, So yeah, I think, yeah, that's pretty much all of my big things on keto. Maddie, do you have anything else to share on keto? I feel like that one was a little bit longer of a rant. <laughs> no, I, I think you did a great job. I loved hearing your personal story and experience with keto more in detail. <laughs> okay. So we've talked about quite a few fad diets so far, and we've got a couple more yet to hit on. So our next kind of bucket category, and we'll kind of lump them in a little bit together because they're pretty similar is the vegetarian and the vegan diet. And so Maddie, you've had some experience with being a vegetarian. So what does that mean to be a vegetarian? And what was your experience like when you were a vegetarian? 
So when you're a vegetarian, you give up animal products. And for some people that includes milk and eggs, some people keep that in their diet, personal preference, kind of up to you on what you want to do with that. Um, when I was vegetarian, I did continue eating milk and eggs. I was in college. Those are some staple foods for your, your microwave only kitchen. <laughs> so, um, and then like vegan is where you don't typically like include milk, eggs, or any animal products. I know that like honey is sometimes like a hot topic, but usually not included. Um, there's other different foods like that as well. So vegan kind of tends to be on the more strict end. And then lacto, ovo, vegetarian that includes milk and eggs is kind of on the, the less strict end. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of this like sliding scale. And yeah. And like Maddie said with vegans, like that is almost even more of like a lifestyle of like, you're not consuming wool or leather or again, we talked about honey, you know, coming from bees. Um, but now that kind of like branches into other things too. So, so this is like full abstinence of animal products outside of just food. Whereas vegetarian is a little bit more of just focusing on the food only for the most part. Um, again, in terms of where you draw the line, where you are on that sliding scale is going to vary person to person. Um, so what kind of factors would somebody be thinking about in terms of becoming a vegetarian or why would somebody choose to that? And you can share your experience and your why behind it. So some people do it for health reasons. You know, there's a lot of buzz around, you know, meat not always being the best for your heart health, things like that. Um, some people have like ethical reasons to do it. Um, that was kind of mine. Like, I really love animals and sometimes it made me really sad to think about where the meat on my plate came from. And that was where I got that from. I was also living in California, so it was very easy for me to slip seamlessly into not eating meat and not missing out on going out to eat with friends and making sure that I was getting all of my meals in, which is something to consider when thinking about a diet change. Yeah, with any kind of, yeah, like you said, with any kind of diet change, we still, again, I feel like I keep saying that so that's the theme of this episode is you still have nutrient needs. We still need to cross off those boxes, how you go about doing that and what combinations of foods you use to do that. You have some freedom and some choice involved in that. But at the same time, like those needs are still there. So <laughs> what are um, some nutrients that people should be more mindful of if they are deciding to follow a vegetarian or vegan diet? Yeah, so. Um, animal products are a big source of iron, vitamin B12. So those are some big deficiencies that we sometimes see with people that are following vegetarian, vegan diet. You're also like, I, the plant-based protein is great, but it does not always have the amount that we get from our animal products. So it can be really difficult to meet your adequate protein needs as well when following these diets. Yeah, it can be done. We just need to be smart about it. We need to be intentional about it. And again, with following something um, like a vegetarian vegan diet, usually that's you're thinking about it a little bit more and you have to be thinking about it a little more. So if you're somebody who doesn't want to think very hard when it comes to food, this might not be a good spot. <laughs> 
what else should we know about vegetarian vegan diets? Um, it can be kind of restrictive, those nutritional deficiencies. Um, if you are thinking about being pregnant or breastfeeding someone that like iron, um, folate, B12 is really important for, this is probably not the best time to make the switch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we need to prioritize again what our body needs or other people's bodies needs if you are looking to grow another human. Um, and something else that I'll add to that too is like it also depends on like your performance goals. Now, of course, in the industry, there are bodybuilders, there are Olympic weightlifters, there's power lifters, there's plenty of athletes who are vegetarian and even vegan. But again, now, if, if that is what you want to do, then you just need to be, again, fully informed of how not only now are you going to fuel your body, but now fueling your recovery, fueling your performance. So like Maddie mentioned with plant protein, is it can be difficult to get enough coming in. And something that I know when I talk to clients about this, usually they have a little bit of an aha moment or, um, you know, I didn't really think of that, but it makes total sense is that your protein needs go up if you are going to follow a vegetarian or a vegan diet. So Maddie, do you know why protein needs go up for a vegetarian vegan I diet? I know that plant-based protein as great as it is, is not always as well utilized by your body as animal protein. Yes. So we have to kind of compensate for that. So <laughs> it's this big, long, fancy word called bioavailability. So yes, our animal products, the protein that's in them, um, our bodies can collect and can break down a little quicker, a little more efficiently than the protein that we find in our plants. Again, the body can still take it from our plants. So then therefore we need to kind of compensate and consume more knowing that our body can't always take it in in the same amount. Um, so you might think you're getting the same 60, 75, 90, 100 grams of protein, but if it's coming from plants, you might actually, your body might not be taking in all of that. Um, so that is one kind of important um, factor to know when it comes to crossing off all of your nutrient needs. And I think something else too, I mean, like you said, it, you lived in California, so it was really easy to kind of blend and transition into that. And sometimes that can be a huge obstacle for people when it comes down to accessibility and what kind of resources do you have available to you? Can you go to a grocery store that has a lot of plant-based protein options or a lot of fresh produce or, you know, however you're going to do that. Um, sometimes we don't always have access to some of those things. So, um, but yeah. So um, anything else that you care to share about vegetarian and vegans before we get into kind of our last bucket category of fad diets? A big thing that was definitely like a light bulb moment for me is like with the plant-based meat substitutes, like you often think that they have nutritional value to their animal-based counterparts. They do not. So like I was definitely living my fun little life and like substituting sorizo and things like that and like thinking that it was just the same meal but with the meatless option that was it did not have the same nutritional value and I was not getting the same amount of protein energy that I would have been yeah 
Yeah, there's tons of plant-based meat alternatives and different just meat alternatives in general that are kind of hitting the market. And I think that some of those come with a lot of really good intention, but you can't you can't match a steak with plants in the same like size that you would. I mean, you'd have to eat a lot of black beans or pinto beans or quinoa or whatever <laughs> to match that kind of density. So so yes, that is an awesome big takeaway from a lot of this or a big thing to consider um, when it comes to it comes to this. So the last kind of fad diet that I want to hit on today is like gluten-free or elimination diets. And so kind of like when we had our chat about the keto diet being more of a like a medical, a therapeutic kind of diet, sometimes gluten-free and elimination diets can have that same purpose because these are not diets that we are meant to follow specifically for the rest of our life. I mean, if you have celiac disease, then please be gluten-free for the rest of your life. Your body will thank you. Um, (laughs) But when it comes to some of these elimination diets, we are intentionally putting your body through a restrictive period. And we are intentionally, you know, keeping it very bare minimum, very limited in terms of what foods you can eat. So that way we can kind of play detective work and find out what foods either might be triggering you in some way, whether it's an allergy and intolerance causes an inflammation, anything like that. Um, and that way, now, you know, um, because sometimes we can do the at home, like blood tests or the saliva kits and things like that. But I'm also a big believer of like, we also just need to do some trial and error in our body and just see what happens. We need to see what that environment um, kind of looks like. Um, So I have some experience with at least an elimination diet. Craig and I did an elimination diet. I don't know how many years ago. Um, It was when I graduated from UWL, I think. So like 2018, I think. So it's been a hot minute. Um, but him and I, we wanted to do it to kind of, to do that, to kind of explore what feels good in our body, what doesn't feel good and see if there's foods that we were eating that are worth eliminating. And, um, we knew that Craig had kind of had some issues with some gluten. So that came up and he's been successfully like gluten-free more officially, except first we were like, oh, maybe it's like big quantities of gluten. Um, And it turned out to be like any kind of finite amount of gluten. (laughs) So he's been gluten-free for a couple of months now and feels a lot better. So again, this might be helpful to you if you feel like you're having a lot of digestive upset or discomfort, um, Or then again, like with food allergies, with like feeling itchy in your mouth, having hives, that kind of thing, kind of connecting things back um, to your food. Um, So Maddie, what kinds of things um, should people be aware of when it comes to elimination diets or saying that they're gluten-free, even if they might not medically need to be gluten-free? It's kind of a loaded question, but what are your thoughts on that? for just something to be aware of is it is restrictive like since you are taking out whole food groups whole foods like everything that has gluten is a lot of things (laughs) um and for people that are removing gluten if it makes you feel better like more power to you but definitely be aware that like 
again, like the meat substitutes, the the gluten-free option is not always nutritionally equal to what you were eating previously. So just check in with yourself, check in with the nutrition label if that works for you and try and balance that as best you can. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yes, I mean, and it's, excuse me. Well, let me mark that down that I burped here. Um, 12, <laughs> I don't think you've been around me enough, Maddie, but I, there are some times where I like really let out some big burps. So Corey's like, if you ever record a podcast and you like burp obnoxiously, like please mark down what time that is and edit around it. I think there's a lot of things in the media at least in my media, I don't know if you can agree to this too, Maddie, about kind of demonizing gluten and some of these blanket statements of everybody should be gluten-free, everybody should be dairy-free. Um, and I usually say like, kind of like what you just said, Maddie, like if you removed it and you feel great, then that's fantastic. Um, but at the same time, if you eat it and you don't have any negative side effects, it's not impacting your health, um, in any way you're able to still adequately nourish your body, then it's definitely something that can still stay. Um, cause I think there's some misconceptions about like the gluten molecule or the protein itself, um, and how it can cause inflammation. And you're totally right. It can cause inflammation in certain individuals, <laughs> but not necessarily, for everyone. Um, so when it comes to, again, a lot of these elimination diets, um, you know, if people have heard of the whole 30, that can technically kind of fall within that bucket category of an elimination diet, because you follow a certain protocol for 30 days, and then you kind of reintroduce your foods in afterwards. Um, so it can be a good initial thing to do, but it's definitely not something that you'd want to stay on, you know, for the rest of your life. Um, so it just gets a little dicey. Um, so, um, Maddie, are there any other fat diets that we should kind of hit on? I feel like we kind of got a good broad covering of them. Oh, I think we have a good spread for today. Yeah. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we talked about a lot of different diets today. Um, if you have any questions on any of them and want to learn more, or if one of these sounds intriguing to you, but you want to make sure that you are crossing off all of your nutritional needs, please come see me. Please come chat with me. I definitely want to make sure that you are nourishing and flourishing. Um, so Maddie, go ahead and give us kind of a summary of everything that we chatted about and some final thoughts that listeners should have as they think about some of these things. Right. So we talked a lot about our different diets, ways of eating. Um, and the big takeaway is just like nourish yourself. And with a lot of these, like the goal is a calorie deficit. That's great. And if that's what you're looking to get out of a diet, okay, um, something to think about is like, what are your goals? Is it really the best way to nourish yourself? Is it something that you can do for forever? Is it something like the elimination diet where foods are meant to be reintroduced? What does the progression of it look like? Um, be mindful of that because we don't want you to be on an elimination diet forever. Like, well, 30 is 30 days. <laughs> um, nourish yourself the best that you can. 
Yes, excellent. So before we officially sign off, and those of you who have listened to my episodes previously know that I wrap up our session with one final question for our guest speakers. So my nutrition program philosophy tagline, I don't know what you want to call it, is you got to nourish to flourish. So Maddie, what kind of things do you do to nourish so that way you can flourish? Okay, so I have like grocery store anxiety. I do not like to go. And so when I am going out to buy all of my food for the week so that I can nourish myself, I get a little treat. And I will never say no to this little treat because it gets me my food for the rest of the week. It makes me happy to go and it's something I look forward to instead of something I dread. Yes, that totally sounds like flourishing. That's awesome. What has been your little treat that you usually grab? So I usually get like a coffee or sometimes it's just like a fun grocery item. So the last one that I bought was like the Halloween Oreos because I am an Oreo girl. Yeah, oh, that's so fun. And it's nice that it kind of changes every time. So it just kind of keeps you coming back. Like it because it's like it. sometimes I go out with an idea of what I want, and sometimes I let myself wander the grocery aisle and pick one thing that I is a treat. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So yeah, any other listeners out there, if you struggle with grocery shopping, give yourself a little reward for putting in that hard work. It is hard work to plan a grocery shopping trip and to grab all of your things. So yes, definitely keep yourself accountable. Keep yourself motivated. That is an excellent way to flourish. So now that you know better, let's go out and do better so we can all be better.